0: to the Urban Anti Show. I'm your host Laura Ikata. This show talks about important Native issues and highlights guests that are representing Native people in a wide variety of careers. Featured guests talk about how their Alaska Native culture impacts their work. Listen to all of the Urban Anti Show episodes on Spotify and theurbanantishow.com. Like our Facebook page and follow the Urban Anti Show on Twitter stay up to date on future episodes. Hello, you are listening to KSUA 91.5 FM Fairbanks. I'm Lori Kata and I host the Urban Anti Show. Today I have guest Brittany Woods Orison. And I'll introduce myself first before she dives into her introduction. Lori Kata Souza, Dehun Danaka de Deludenith A ita Itae Johnny Kata Buza, Ina A, Misty Carlo Riley, Bauza, Setsu Uza, Donna Riley, Yeth, Madeline Riley, Setsia Uza, Thomas Hyslop, Yeth, Rocky Riley, Yeth, James Zikata, e. Senior Gayla, Nolado Hatan, Eslan, Fairbanks, Lasta. My name is Laura. I am from Nolado and Kaikook and Minto, and I live in Fairbanks and go to school at UAF, and I host the Urban Anti Show. Do you want to do your introduction?
1: Hello, my name is Brittany Woods Orson. I am from Rampart, Alaska. My mom is Brooke Woods. My grandma is Janet Woods. My great-grandma is Judy Woods on my mom's side. uh, I went to Mount Edgecombe High School where I met Laura Ikata. Yes. I heard about her beforehand and knew her from my classmates and living in Fairbanks all of us natives run into each other here and there and I knew Laura was my predecessor the next big thing of Mount Edgecombe we were both uh super athletic did all the sports we could all the academics and we also both went to college and wrestled for a while I went to college where I wrestled for the women's program and earned my psychology degree and so both my senior years I was blessed with the presence. You guys are national champs. Yes I struggled. I struggled those (laughs) first financially, academically, physically. College is hard. Yeah um, being first generation, being out of state, being one of the only Alaska Native students on campus it took a toll. I was lucky to have my program where my coach understood, uh, it took the team and it took full individuals or their full selves and he told us right away he wanted to graduate successful athletes, students and women from the community for the community and it was awesome. I had teammates from literally all over the world. We all represented all types of communities uh wrestling's also awesome because it really welcomes people from all different body sizes and capabilities because of the weight classes. And so with that support and my family really encouraged me to stay with it. My senior year we won two national championships and I was an all-American and how that happened was wrestling wasn't sanctioned even my senior years when they had the first ever Alaska state championship which I also won. I won one of those. and uh so what happened is they had women's collegiate wrestling association r.i.p wcwa you really held us down until then (laughs) and uh we had teams from canada and the u.s and when i joined i think it was around 30 only teams across the nation and then by the time i graduated it was almost double that and I'm for sure it's way past that. And mm-hmm. it's it's awesome time to join wrestling because you can be a part of a program that has success or you can help build up a program, which I kind of witnessed. I remember my freshman year and we got seventh place. That was a huge deal. And then we got fifth, fifth and then we won NAIA and WCWA. So
0: that's that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when I was a freshman, that's when the wrestling, women's wrestling in Alaska started. And so I got to be a a part of a women's wrestling state champions four times. Mm. Yeah. So do you want to talk about cultural activities you participated in growing up in Rampart, growing up in Fairbanks, going to Mount Edgecombe, how you took your culture with you to Menlo? Because it's a part of who you are.
1: Yes. I will say two. I was raised by my grandparents so that my mom could finish getting her education. And I was in Rampart, a small community. And I only seen myself as Native and was really proud of that and understood the connection to the land. My family had done a lot of healing and growing because... I grew up with four of my great-grandparents and being raised by my grandparents, I was around elders all the time. And so I was given visions into what it looked like doing that. And it's hard to comprehend at times that my great-grandparents raised 11 kids in a two-room log cabin and had to garden, you know, had to keep mending their clothes. They weren't buying a lot of clothes. And we have this... uh, spam soup that was special because it was uh if you could afford to buy canned food like that was a treat in itself and uh, learning how to fish and whatnot and hearing stories about the past and my mom bringing me to meetings and stuff I didn't really know what was going on when I was at Doyon or AFN Mm -hmm. or in certain city settings or being in Rampart but Whenever I listen to the elders, they talk in this way where they give so much knowledge in a story type narrative. Uh, So yeah, growing up on this, my family harvesting salmon, you know, we had our own boat, which is a privilege in itself, and we have a log cabin back at home. And as I started going back and forth between the city, it also made me comfortable being in two different settings, which was important to my success overall. And as I got older, I wanted more because I started asking questions of, why don't we know our language? Why isn't anyone beating in the family? Or what plants can we eat if we lived off the land? And how did, how did we brush our teeth? How did we deal with cuts? Just simple questions like that and wanting to know more. And the other thing that really started pushing me towards my culture is seeing that my family, who had access to the land that we grew up from and could go to Tanana or Manly or Minto, where I have family, the more they were participating in this traditional lifestyle is when you've seen us succeed in school, when you succeed in tribal governance or state governance. I have had family in all these different lines of work and doing cultural revitalization in one form or the other. On the other end of it, I have family who struggle with addiction, who struggle with um, being in school or maintaining jobs or having consistent housing. And I didn't even know what colonialism was, but I'm like, there is something here that I don't understand. And so my family, because I was, my, my dad's from, Uptown and my mom's from downtown, so I'm mm-hmm. related to all of town. Is how I, say. <laughs> uh, I was just given a lot of love. I had so many people taking care of me, and just that wow, uh, just being able to feel like I can do anything and know I have so many people to lean on to, it really told me I was like being told I was going to go to college and having success. So, go to Mount Edgecombe, I participate in the dance group. I remember I remember one time we went to help harvest Devil's Club, uh, just participating and then also having students from every region. It was constant cultural sharing, story sharing, growing up with these people 14 to 18 or sometimes younger, sometimes a little older. Uh, th- that gave me even more, Love for my state, and even more responsibility. And shout out the writing class, Miss McCrossen, one of my teachers. Wow, it's been a while. <laughs> she had us in tenth grade start looking at how to prepare for life after high school, whether you go into furthering your education, apprenticeship, jobs we started looking there. And with that knowledge I had as a kid, I was decided I either want to get a psychology or business degree, because I either want to help my people through mental health resources or a business that we need and somehow tying it back to culture. And whatever I could do to reconnect at Mount Edgecombe during all my classes in athletics, I tried to, like, push that. I had, like, beating projects, of Hulan projects, just anything, but there's only so much you can do all at once, and Native women like to try to push those <laughs> limits every day. That's what I'm learning <laughs> more and more of. Native women don't chill. Yeah. Um, so, come senior year, I knew I wanted to continue my athletics. Uh, I thought it was going to be for basketball. Yeah. Or cross country. and. Me too. Ball is life. Ball is life. <laughs> Tried to stick to it. Uh, wrestling It gave me the opportunity. And how I decided Menlo was I was. It was on the West Coast. It had the two degrees I wanted. The coach was the nicest to me. Checked in. And it kind of had the best scholarship. But it still cost a lot to go there. And with all the struggles that I did have. And being the only Alaska native, being the only person from Alaska, it did get really lonely at times. Interestingly enough, I found my native community on Twitter. (laughs) This is the modern day people. Uh, I just kind of spoke about my experiences I was having and the struggles I was having. And I just always encourage people to do this. So much of, um, Things, bad things that happen, trying to, uh, is when we don't understand what's happening or we don't ask for help. So many resources out there and mentorship and, man, like, I even, one of the things that I hold on to is that my college probably made over $500 for me from late fees. I didn't know how to take out grants. I didn't know how to take out, uh, to schedule my time or you know, just trying to learn all of that. And just like whenever I was hate-crimed, I didn't know what route to go to navigate that or who I could go to because there are ways to protect yourself from that and hold people accountable. But when you're so burnt out and, you know, you only have two hours of free time a day, like you can't do it all on your own and you shouldn't do it all on your own. I was lucky to have even, man, the first day I went onto campus, I had, I had flown for over over about 24 hours. I bought the cheapest ticket one way. I did that? I get onto campus, I'm exhausted. I start checking in, I get to the business lady and she looks up at me and says, you can't go into your room until you pay us $4,000 because you haven't been responding to your emails. And luckily my teammate, she runs into me and she says, I recognize you, I'm starting to cry. She. I explained the situation. I'm calling my mom, my grandma, trying to find if we like can pay this thing together and figure out from there. And I ended up having to take a loan, but I got my coach and was supported in that way. So if if anything, what <laughs> as a first-generation college student, being Native, uh, what I would have loved more for myself is to speak out about wrongful experience I was having and find a mentor in doing that. Um, Just speaking about the experience and going to the business office more, I was so stressed by finances. I was like, if they can't find me, I won't have to deal with this right (laughs) now until I get the money. And it was like, how are you going to get the money? You have a weekend job that pays minimum wage, which I also... They exploited me there. They were giving me trainer fees for, like, the first six months, and I didn't know how to read a check, so I was getting played a lot. I wow. was getting played a lot. Yeah. College
0: is really hard, and filling out the FAFSA is, like, really hard, and I never got help with that, and so I always had to do it all on my own, and I just, like, had to make an account for my dad, but it was really just me doing all my dad's information, mm-hmm. and... Uh, yeah, first-generation kids, they're really on their own. <laughs> they're,
1: they're really on their own, and it goes to show how generational wealth is also knowing how to go through college. Someone really laid it out recently for me to understand, and someone's family who has gone for generations, you know, the mom will be there, or they'll hire someone to go there. They'll write the resume. They'll tell them what to do here and there. And I also learned, because I had friends who were million billionaires, honestly, who probably, they would pay all of their tuition at the beginning of the year, and you got a discount for paying all your tuition at once. So it's actually more expensive to be poor. And mm-hmm. all of this is to say... The <laughs> system is rigged. The system is rigged. The system <laughs> is rigged. And there's, like, a history of... Um, Allegedly. Allegedly. I heard a story from someone that there was this great group of students that paid a professor to do all their work back in the day. No further comment, but. <laughs> uh, moving on. Moving on.
0: <laughs> Can you talk about um, the Native issues that matter to you? Because you're a very outspoken person. Your mom, your grandma, they're very outspoken women. They always speak up at doyan meetings and... Mm. TCC meetings. Can you talk about some of the most important things to you?
1: I will say, trying to think of what started all of this, definitely being able to harvest salmon, which is an issue that my mom, Brooke Woods, has took on for years. And my mom, Janet, I call her mom too because she raised me, um, took on for years and but like I said, when I was younger, I just wanted to know everything that my ancestors knew. And it's still my long-term goals. I'm taking Wednesday language classes. I took an ethnobotany class. and I'm going to plan on buying a bunch of uh, book materials. Any aunties or uncles that know the plants, hit me up. I want to learn. I'm going to try to spend all winter preparing for spring to fall to gather all of uh, the plants that I can and just, you know, not buy from stores as much at Mount Edgecombe is when I started learning about the violence in our art so I knew about addiction and I wanted to address that and I realized that was through culture and identity and you know having thing our our lifestyle took up so much of our time it was so hard and something that stuck with me from a young kid as I remember we were hauling water, you know, I'm like trying to carry two five gallon buckets at 12 years old and I have five other chores at least to do in the day. And my mom Brooke, my Ina Brooke looks at me and she's like, you know, our lifestyle is hard but it gives us a lot of purpose. And I was all, whoa, some people don't have that. I remember just going back to elementary school And learning that other people don't have fish camp to go to or Mm -hmm. they just live in the same place all year. And I was like, "Whoa, couldn't be me. Not Mm -hmm. for me. Um, And then when I went to Mount Edge, I mean, not Mount Edge, when I went to Menlo College, by the time I was my junior year, I was really getting... I was really starting to learn my way there and being able to take care of myself. I got a few big grants that, so my junior year, like I didn't have to pay anything out of pocket. Shout out all the native institutions and people that give scholarships. It really does add up. Um, And I started working on having indigenous people's day because my college is in Atherton, California, which acknowledged, Columbus Day and I wanted to change that and so I started for two years I held a table during that day to show native I bought my college bought a native map of like kind of the traditional lands I showed native artists and businesses and I forget what else and I oh I also tried to start having um, my campus acknowledge whose land we're on which was the Loney people and that is just a language group I think it's the Muekma Ohlone people and that also was a hard experience in itself because I just always remember this crusty old white man coming <laughs> up and like I don't get the importance of this and it's like of course because you don't know who your people are I don't remember what I said <laughs> then it escalated quickly because my beginning of my senior year they found ancestral remains in a closet mm. in cardboard boxes mm-hmm. just and the teacher went up to me and she's like I know you're an advocate for your people and I would really like you to be a part of this project also at this time I didn't understand boundaries or time capacities or getting money for my native women <laughs> we're just here for the for all the community but I took it on and that was a two-year process. I just remember attending meetings, and then we were able to go to Stanford, and they were able to do DNA tests to try to give uh, just an idea of what tribe or like which region, because DNA tests, you know, they they can only work so well. Um, and then we realized it was from the Tongva area, and then we started connecting to people there, and then it was the Gabrielino Tongva which is an unrecognized tribe, which was messy in itself because if some other tribe was, was acting some type of way or wanted to claim them, they would have got prioritized over who it actually came from. And so it was two years, or a year after I graduated, um, two years, because I was on my road trip. Well, I graduated, I live in the Bay for a year. I get in a culinary degree, or culinary career, um, pandemics happens. I'm in it. And also culinary is so racist, sexist, homophobic, lazy people thrive. Uh, men are disgusting in the kitchen. That was my experience in the two places I worked. So I was like, wow, I really have to go for something because I don't want to keep working in what's no longer my career. Cause by this time I started reading up on indigenous literature, I started like, trying to f- attend things online that I could go to, and all the time I was working on this. And it was during uh, the George protest. George Floyd. George Floyd. I was like, I knew too many cousins George. They all came to <laughs> my mind at that. Um, that our campus made a statement about supporting Black Lives Matter, and then yeah. all of the black and brown students were like, oh, really? So what about this experience, this experience, this experience? And it went on, and then there was some racist students, and they're like, "I immigrated and I had a fine time, so no one should have a hard time because this is my experience as mm-hmm. a white immigrant." I was like, and then, so a group of us came together and we made this manifesto of um, basically justice and reparations because all my work had been on pause, and my campus was like, we don't have money and we can't do this right now. So after that, they did a land acknowledgement on the website right away, which could have been done sooner. Then they followed up with um, hiring an Ohlone artist, and I don't know where they're at, if they have the plaque or not, but they were gonna have an Ohlone artist draw or have a mural around the plaque. And then they finally had money to do all this work. They were compensating the women who were doing the time, to, the aunties who were like taking care of, trying to figure out the story of these remains, It was really interesting. They had like, it was gifted to our campus, which is disgusting in itself. Uh, It was found on an oil field. You know, (laughs) oil was being extracted and bodies came up. And we were able to return it, and it was a, it was a beautiful experience being able to gather after all those years of emailing and online work. And I didn't even participate. Okay, I participated by constantly advocating and speaking to my college in the emails and reminding them of the experience I had that I also wrote in this manifesto. So that was my part of the work, but I didn't know how to research or like look into records. So that was the privilege of me being a part of that and learning. And when we gathered, we kind of just were able to be like ah, and we we organized it and it actually ended up being bones from two adults and four children and artifacts. And they actually even found an ivory item in there. And they're like, yo, they were trading with your cousins too, or mm-hmm. what? Cause you know, we had that huge trade route from Alaska to that chili, bottom, all the way, all the way. So that's what really got me into that work as a college student and I, to go back, <laughs> step back and say, I was living in the Bay and I was working in the culinary life and realizing that my time there was only going to last so much longer because I had tried to find new jobs helping brown and black people or protected populations. I had tried to connect with the native community, but being in the Bay Area is exhausting. The traffic is intense. The prices of anything is unbelievable. Everyone is pretty burnt out and trying to connect with people is just time and money that you only have so much of. And I was looking at other places to live because I wasn't ready to return back to Alaska. I was like, once I do that, I'm going to be there and I'm trying to see the world. I'm trying to experience, learn more, get more stories because I was a huge part of my college career. My main friend group was Laotian, Peruvian, black, immigrant, all of that. So I started reaching out to friends in different states and was like, "Hey, if I started driving around, could I stay with you?" <laughs> I don't have I won't have a job, I'll just like buy groceries. And I wrote a mission statement and what was the purpose of this drive? So this was around November 2019. And I was like, I want to learn about the land, the waters, the stewards, and what's happening in these places, and I want to reconnect with my friends in a safe way. So by this time I had my vaccine rolled around February, I write my two weeks, I have a car that's paid off, I like, calculate my finances, that I can be unemployed for five months, and be able to take care of the expenses, And the other goal is to find alignment and reparosity in a career that respected that too, that had the same values, because I might, I was not in a Native community. I was struggling in the Bay Area to do all this, and, you know, being friends with people that no longer have the same goals as you, or they can't give in the way that you need to. And so, that's what launched Alaskan on the Road. That's my current at on everything, if you want to see the wildness of it. <laughs> um I went to throughout California, Washington, Oregon, Colorado, New Mexico, Oklahoma, connected with a lot of friends. Um and Started learning how to record videos, do the captions to be accessible, try to be an ally to all of my peoples, peoples with disability, immigrant, um, all of that, and... <laughs> It led to a lot of rich experiences and it was also the first time that I had alone time growing up in a big family, being in dorms, living with another family after I graduated. Um, A lot of healing was in some tough situations and friends helped me out. And um, what kind of then now led to my career is... I had been looking for work this entire time and it was hitting my fifth month and I was like, wow, I really have something has to happen. And I already knew too, if this didn't work out or something didn't happen, I would have to stop and rent somewhere and, you know, like start doing Uber drive, Uber Eats or something, or I'd have to go home. I gave myself like I didn't just willy-nilly this. I was very, uh, responsible. And then my mom, who had been, forwarding me jobs, other people who knew I was open for work were forwarding me jobs. And then I get this one for AKPurg, Alaska Public Interest Research Group, and Native Movement. And it was interesting because I had just, um, applied for Native Movement's film class for climate justice. And I had applied for one or two other jobs. But this one was interesting because they're like, we're not even going to post this. We're just going to ask through our networks. And it's for a broadband specialist. And i was like, what's broadband? <laughs> and that's where I started. <laughs> so I was like, let me look this up. And I do, and I understand it is internet and connections. And the job description, which is what I still do this day, is educating users, creating a network of advocates, and influencing policy to best serve Alaskans. And so I researched both programs, which I was like, this is unreal. You, you gotta be kidding me. It was just Native Movement, they are focused on indigenized leadership and just communities for all healthy, sustainable. Native, our ACPRG is focused on consumer advocacy through the forms of good governance, economic justice, and energy issues and native movement. Some of theirs is gender justice, climate justice, environmental justice, indigenous media. So I like do my research about these orgs and they're part of this Just Transition Collective, which I learned about and I learned about the Hamez Principles. And then I'm reading the Alaska Plan and Alaska's blueprint for broadband future, do all this work. And at the same time, I applied for, what was it called? The Swaya, Santa Fe Indian Market Swaya fashion show. Just, and I just want to also add for context where I was at, like I had just had my first panic attack. Like I ended up in the hospital because I thought I was dying, because I couldn't, like my heart was beating and my limbs were like out of my control. Um, I had just connected with, like, two people who are fundamentally, like, so part of my healing in my life right now, and we just had an amazing time, and then I was house-sitting, and, like, I really had to confront, like, all my healing, what I wanted to do, and just experience those emotions and let them work through them, you know, not, not ignoring them, not going around them, but going through them, um, and these opportunities presented themselves. So I wanted to really make that point because when you focus on your healing and reparosity and your boundaries and protecting who you're around, um, it might you might hit really hard points in your life. And when you do healing, it kind of brings up more healing that needs to be done. And it's an ever going journey And with that said, it's really about your practices you have in the day, your your inspiration, your guidance, your support, your mentality. And I credit so many people who brought me there and got me there to be at that point, work through it. And then all of these opportunities presented themselves. So I'm working on this application. Then I'm back in the Bay Area and I'm driving to New Mexico. I have the most phenomenal week in New Mexico Santa Fe I meet all of these indigenous women and I will say indigenous women are holding it down a thousand percent they are working on their healing they're taking care of their families they're going for audacious goals I don't know what that means right now but it feels right (laughs) (laughs) that's the right word you said it the right way okay (laughs) and they look good they're taking care of themselves, and they're hilarious, and all of this, all of it. And just doing all this fun stuff in the free time. They, they are everything and anything, and all at, all at the time, all the time, all the time. And <laughs> I have my interview scheduled two days after that experience, and then my, I have a cousin in New Mexico, and want to shout him out and his wife, and they have a baby. She was born the day I walked the runway. I was like, you can't make this up.
0: <laughs> um,
1: because he, when we were together, it was the first time I had one of my men cousins, my male cousins, uncle's, uncle cousin. <laughs> uncle cousin nephew. <laughs> yeah. he. We had such in-depth conversations, and he was really honest with me about, like, You know, Brittany, when I was young, I really just thought our culture was drinking and fishing. You know, we had so much healing to do. And so for the longest time, I only focused on like financially taking care of myself. And then in his 30s, he kind of learned about what his family had gone through. And he just had this life change. And while we're together, we shared resources and we went to webinars and we had really hard discussions and i want to make that point because that's one of the only men in my family who i know are really doing it to that extent and taking care of themselves and being a good dad so our native men our native men listen to, they the have native work women. to do. yeah they have work to do and we're all fighting patriarchy we all have our parts to do and it's going to look different anyway so back to my dog <laughs> uh I apply, I get into the work, and it's, so September 13th is my work anniversary, my first work, so everything I'm about to tell you, I have done in one year. It has been a lot, it's been a lot, and it's going to stay being a lot. I start learning about internet service providers in Alaska. I'm reading all these, like, old documents that have happened, and then I learn about the Broadband Task Force, and I share it with one of my executive directors, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, they are building the blueprint for how all of the millions and billions of dollars that are going to come to Alaska because before this is when we knew Aisha had passed Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, which has $60 billion for uh, broadband and important people in this is NTIA, National Telecommunications Information Administration, and FCC, Federal Communications Oh my goodness! I forgot FCC important <laughs> here. They're like an administration as well. So many acronyms in my life. Um, so I start learning about the broadband task force. I'm one month in, and I start testifying about having more entry points and having people share their experiences because I started realizing, like, wow, there's nowhere else in the U. S. where it's going to cost a thousand dollars for ten over one internet. And for, so, internet is anything twenty five over download upload speeds so 25.3 is broadband and anything below that is just like that should be illegal at this point this is <laughs> the other important thing that happened with the infrastructure um, legislation is they named broadband as essential which people had been advocating for and having money so that was the beginning and then I learned about the 2.5 gigahertz tribal spectrum which is so spectrum is the river in the sky and it's important so acs gci at&t verizon they all own spectrum to own their networks and native tribes had a nine-month window to sign up for free spectrum which it should be automatically owned all the time because if you look at treaties they talk about owning whatever's on their land and we didn't know what spectrum was but it's a finite resource that exists and we should have it all the time um, so, I started learning about that, and then there's money for tribes to own networks. I get connected with Akiak Consortium. They use satellite technology to start their internet service provider, and they do phenomenal work. Um, started getting connected with more tribes who are doing this work, and it was pretty overwhelming. And that it, it's so hard to connect with tribes, the administration, find the right email, try to find someone who's not completely bogged down in all of the other uh, people not having grant capacity, people working on other ones. I was connected with, so I'm from Rampart, like I said, and I finally got connected with my auntie, and there's they were part of um, the Minto Consortium, And I finally got all the contacts for that, and we were really looking forward to, you know, they have someone they hired to take on this work, and they were going to build a fiber network through the road system to connect all of them, and it'd be tribally owned. And Doyon was just awarded the grant that connects Rampart, and I caught up with my aunt again, and she said that wasn't her first priority because they wanted it to go through the road system, so... At the Dan Sullivan Broadband Summit, I was just at last month. Um, they had a meeting, NTIA, with the tribes, and the corporations are being prioritized over tribes owning their infrastructure. And the corporations are working with telecoms who get millions of dollars of subsidies every year. And, you know, we're just not seeing them connect to certain communities, and fiber is the best technology out there, uh, has the most capacity to grow, but fiber also is anywhere from 200 to $500,000 a mile, and it only has a limited season, and a lot of tribes were hoping to have satellite, and as they got more funding and all of that, and so now where I'm at in my work, is I'm just trying to get more people involved and have more people understand that there is a lot of money there's a our telecom industry gets so much money and there's only so many entry points so when the legislation legislator was going on for HB 363 which was the bill that made the state broadband office who's going to oversee all these funds and it's like a 12-seat board for all the different technologies and consumer, telecom, Alaska Native corporations to, you know, say your story and to try to support your tribe owning this. Um, There's just a lot going on.
0: Do you want to talk about the funding opportunities?
1: Yes. I. So another important part of this work that I want to start leaning into more this year is letting people know about the affordable connectivity program and lifeline affordable connectivity program was started during the pandemic as ebt and it now has turned into this and it should have funding for the fi- next five years it's 75 dollars off your internet bill if you're on tribal lands and 30 dollars off if you're not on tribal lands and guess what all of alaska counts as tribal lands so everyone can get 75 dollars off and Hopefully this leads into more helpful things. Lifeline is a free smartphone and talk and text, and you're allowed to have both. Um, One of my previous coworkers worked on this, and some people had struggled getting both, and they really had to advocate to their service providers, and um, we called FCC, and you are able to have both. The other important things I wanted to talk about for all my tribal administrators listening or whoever else to get more people involved is the U.S. Treasury has a tribal capital funds allocation. They have extended this deadline months and months again. Um, I believe it's now September 12th. Anyway, it is one hundred and sixty seven thousand dollars for every tribe allocated. So you just have to write a really short paper on what you're going to do with this money in regards to broadband this could be for devices this could be for a building this could be to buy more infrastructure and those were the main three i wanted to talk about
0: great very important so try to advocate to your tribe tell them about these opportunities and where what are the websites where they could learn more
1: I would like to also share my work email Brittany B-R-I-T-T-A-N-Y at akperg.org Alaska Public Interest Group A-K-P-I-R-G dot org Brittany at akperg.org you heard um, I am trying to bring more people to the resources. These are various websites, but this is the US Treasury's on that, Affordable Connectivity Program. You could just look that up. And um, a resource I really like to share is the National Digital Inclusion Alliance. They have a lot of FAQs for that and who qualifies. And their national organization that especially focuses on, um, they've talked about like immigrants and people. Who might struggle to get these resources more but it really is for everyone and there's um, ways to get it another resource I want to shout out right now is uh, Institute for local self-reliance they have an amazing list of tribally and municipality owned internet service providers um with all of the struggles that I named earlier in Alaska and trying to enter this work, I did just want to like lead this into a positive note of there were tribally owned internet survive- internet service providers before all of this funding and there will be after. And like the biggest thing with trying to get more people in learning about this is we just want, more transparency. And what I've learned in this work with broadband is there's the space and capacity for everyone to be involved. And those closest to the problems are closest to the solutions. The thing about choosing and deciding these plans and how the technology is, is you have to be really educated about the land. Even a tree can ruin your internet connection if it's like in the way between the tower And the satellite, or if something interferes, microwave towers or the connection lines between everything. Um, Also, what I am going to be focused on in my next year is digital equity and breaking that down into digital literacy, appropriate devices, adequate service, and affordable service. So you should be able to buy. The speeds you need for how many families at a price that's affordable to you. Um, Alaska Federation. Oh, oh, so many acronyms. <laughs> Alaska's Federation of Natives has a huge grant they were awarded for adoption and use. There's a lot of people who are doing this work, and I'm trying to be more in it. With uh, Rasmussen Foundation has been put in charge, or they're leading the way for the state digital equity plan. Because we were only given a few hundred thousand dollars, which back in a few a few years ago, I'd have been like, "Wow, that's plenty." But now that I'm in the work, I'm like, "You only can do so much." Like some people do that <laughs> on one plan for one city, so they added some extra funding into that, and they're going to be hosting listening sessions. I went to one of them after Dan Sullivan's summit; they had at their own building, and. With this equity planning, this is veterans, elders, youth, people where um, English is their second language, and whatnot. And my biggest point, too, is I cannot tell anyone's stories, nor do I want to. I don't know what's going to be like trying to create an email or get the right device if you have these certain. Um, issues and I also really advocated I'm like Alaskans already like together we like to be together we have events throughout the year being in this work I'm trying to connect with more people and I'm like seeing more groups because also I had lived out of state and now I moved back home and I'm doing this work and it's so beautiful to see I both of my organizations are part of the Just Transition Collective we hosted a A summit and we're trying to do more work throughout the year so that's another place to tap into my orgs or broadband we're trying to have more locally owned services Um, with that said digital equity I think those were all my main points cool
0: I remember when in Minto when we first got internet I would just wait like 10 minutes to load stuff it's mm-hmm. crazy to think about now because mm-hmm. I'm paying GCI right now for the fastest internet I could get, like two gigs. And I can imagine going back to anything else.
1: Yeah, it it's interesting just thinking about the journey of internet through rampart because i didn't think we i don't know when we first got internet but even bringing it back more we didn't get electricity till the 70s and i never really thought about that but i'm like that's not that long ago mm-hmm. and then when i was in high school we could sit outside the tribal administration building and get some internet to um Cause the other thing that happened in the story I like to share that as I've gone into this work and I was talking to my community when all the IJA funding happened after all these years of being ignored United Utilities who's under GCI, they finally brought service to to Rampart and they set up a tower like before winter and it cost $385 to turn on and People used up that in three days, and one of my cousins told me they were charged 1600 for service, and you know, this is just like scrolling. This isn't anything intensive, and big family. Um, and on top of that, the tower sunk by that spring, and it was set up, and I'm Advocating for the local people to own it, and this was in the twenty fourteen Alaska's broadband blueprint. But they said a one percent increase in broadband, it it's equivalent to like millions of dollars, thousands of jobs. Um, It's good for healthcare savings, CO two savings. It has a lot of physical direct implications. And if we weren't in the situation we are now where we have people in rural, low income, rural communities who are already underserved, having to choose between Internet service or whatnot, this would be the issue. But that's why I just like continue to encourage people to participate and have locally owned because these are jobs for ourselves. We can see this in Akiak. They employ their own people. They hired a lot of people to do this work and they control the prices like you want the person who is going to control the prices to also be a customer of that service and so I'm hoping now that Doyon is leading this project that they will hire own people they will show how the costs are going to be um my auntie hasn't heard anything back I don't know what that's going to look like and it's just the work where we all can participate that's the awesome part of it there's room for all of our voices.
0: Yeah, we want people to move home, so we want there to be jobs and we want them to have livable wages.
1: Yes, I the the selfish part of this work is I am doing this and I'm like hoping that I can live in Rampart for more parts of the year that I can harvest from there and learn about our where we harvested certain things or parts of the year. And um so that, man, even when I was flying home for the first time, we were going to land into Sitka but it was so windy that we had to go to Juneau. There was three people at least on that flight that were supposed to go to the hospital. And they were in this predicament where they're like, do we stay in Juneau and try to go on this later flight? Or do we go to Anchorage? Do you know how much that cost? And that's just one situation. And with the technology is so advanced, I've even heard of situations where they'll send some technology out to the village and they don't even have like the bandwidth to run certain equipment. And with how colleges are being set up, you can get whole degrees online and people have want, been wanting to do that. And I'm interested in more programs and I would love to continue taking classes I'm taking an, I've been constantly taking classes for the past year at least one at a time on my own accord so
0: and you're just accepted into a leadership program
1: yes uh the Arizona State University they have an indigenous leadership program and we, there was about over 50 applicants, and it's a 10-week program, and I seen the agenda of last year, and I was able to read all the bios of my cohort, and I was just sent an email out this morning of our my mini groups that I'll work on projects, and we have to do a project of our own. I'm excited to do that because so many of our relatives down in the lower 48 have tribally owned internet service providers and I see so much inspiration being in New Mexico the other thing too is they have um, native music events and native owned businesses and I just see so much of what Alaska could do and another source of inspiration actually National Congress American Indian had a meeting this year their mid-year meeting in Anchorage at the Denina Center and they had various uh, presentations and talks on broadband and one of the women she's from nez pierce in idaho and she was talking about when she set up her isp that she started by just getting grants for what people were doing in the community she's like if someone's helping kids with tutoring that's an internet grant right there if someone is taking care of elders and feeding them on their own accord that's another grant right there so that's the other point if we we just need more champions in our communities and we need more mentors and to talk more because the other thing I realized with this work there's no central place for people to talk about broadband and what projects are happening and up to date so I've been trying to host more conversations and connect my mentors and who's helping me in this work together and I have people who are like, if you ever get confused, because I am, I'm going to be straight up. It's, it's learning on the go. And that's the other thing I love about this is there's so many more jobs where we won't have to go through the education system. And if life was different, if whatever happened, um, I would have liked to bypass college and kind of gone into a career like this, serving my community without a Western education. I would have loved to be so more... Further along in my language revitalization, revitalization in my harvesting practices, in my traditional tool making. So that's the other thing I look forward to is people having more career paths. At I attended an online Pew Research Summit, and they said there's about a 200,000 plus person need. That's going to have People fill in, so there's so many more careers. And I will say, too, demand more, because everyone complains about people not wanting work, and the real root of that is people are no longer working insane hours for low prices. Like We all deserve better, and withholding our energy and withholding our education to get the careers we deserve is what is happening
0: mm-hmm. yeah I've been seeing a lot of talk on that too mm-hmm. and what is your hope for native communities in the future what is your hope for rampart
1: I'm gonna I'm paint a big picture Kay. because this is what I started seeing as I've gotten on to the path I am now Alaska is in this really interesting situation where we have Anxa. Last Native Claims Settlement Act, which gave us corporations instead of reservations. And I really went to the communities where they had that, and it's just so different. It's incomparable to what other Native people in the world have because if we think about our relatives south of the border who many live on the border and their communities were separated by that, they even have less acknowledgement and less resources. And so with that said, um, being inspired by also the covid vaccine rollout that happened in the state you know we had the most people and we got to our kids first and while we have one of the smaller populations in the nation we have the most difficult navigating of circumstances like our extreme weather our like long traveling huge state um Most of our communities being off the road, which is also all the same reasons why it's hard to build out broadband and we should all be working together. The other thing is there's so much money to be had if we had people who can work online, sell art online, become creators, be able to communicate with one another. That's the other part is this is abundance. We all can have abundance if we're all online. And going back to abundance, I just see... Alaska could be in this really amazing situation I dream of where tribal governments and Alaska Native corporations and village corporations work together to just create a completely sovereign nasa- nation that works within the capital society that we're in. Where we have our own schools, we have our own health care, which we already do. We already ha- we got Chief Andrew Isaac, we got <laughs> like we already have the infrastructure in place to continue to gain power, but we're constantly um, working, not in that way, I see. <laughs> but just the vision of, if I decide to have children, and those children could choose to never leave the community, like, what if I had a kid that learned Koyukon Kondine and Inupiaq? And they could travel between villages and they would be able to fully take care of themselves and ha- make the tools and live 100% in that lifestyle. Or I had another kid that was like, I want to go Ivy League or I want to like be an apprentice for this. That they had the options and not be coerced into any way. And I just think there's so much potential, and we're hitting the point where it needs to. You know, I'm seeing extreme heats in every part of the world. I'm reading about how the electric system can is not meant to withstand climate change to this degree. Certain farming agriculture is happening and whatnot. And so, on the other, the other thing I want to say on this podcast is. Uh, people to create local community and really ask yourself what would happen if all of a sudden I couldn't access electricity, I couldn't access stores, I couldn't access oil and to start planning for a lifestyle where you have the food you need, you have the skill sets and you're chosen, and whoever your family is, to take care of one another. Not to say the world's gonna end, but just the way everything's working, these are the skill sets we have to learn. And in learning more about our communities and traveling and hearing, we've always had these skills and such a phenomenal lifestyle. There has been routes between Clinkett people and the islands of Hawaii, we have traveled great distances, we, we make beautiful clothes, we know how to like eat what's around us, and just like I'm thinking about our birch bark baskets, and I'm about to go to a moose tan hiding camp, and I'm just learning like how I learned every animal, their brain is the perfect size to tan the hide. Anything from a mouse to a moose. Like, the world has just given us everything, and we just always had a good time. Like, Mm -hmm. before this (laughs) and after. And I just, like, hoping in my wild conversation of a hundred thousand things I'm saying that people get that there's so many existences out there. There's people that never got on the grid, quote-unquote, or been online or entered the system, and there's so many various ways to live, and I'm just hoping and... That people have the autonomy to live in a way that brings them joy and not hurt others. Like we all could be abundant and we can recognize how we choose to live and how we identify and who we wanna love. And um, um future from, of Rampart. Future of Rampart. <laughs> um and we to really take on our healing and blend all these worlds together. There's so much hurt we have to acknowledge. Uh, I tell people I feel like one of the first like truly free in my family, in the sense that I got to navigate my life and I got to learn about our history And I see how all these colonial capitalist patriarchal systems, kind of how they work, and I see it all. And then I can look back and see what my family's gone through. And I work for people that align with me, my coworkers. I feel our comrades. I get to choose who I spend my time with and all sources of inspiration. Because the other part that is oh so important to sustain these movements of care and reciprocity, and returning to the land, and returning to our ways, is joy. You know, some one of the things that really wore me down, and brought me into horrible mental places, was just constantly being exhausted, and not feeling like I deserve to be there, nor should I be there, and not feeling like amazing. Um, it is such a tool to evilness to put it in lack of better words for us not to survive because we never were our existence is resistance our existence is testimony to our people's strength and beauty because so much the more I learn about it it's just kind of man I remember reading this book and I had to stop so many times because I would just cry I was like wow first off they tried to genocide us completely Mm -hmm. didn't succeed then they try to um, sterilize our women, and then they try to steal our kids, and you know this happened in various parts of the world, and thinking about people who were enslaved and our black relatives, just the physical violence that is incomprehensible and not taught, just like what was done to their bodies and the test and the, ugh, just it's, it's intense. Like. When you really see all that and where we're at now, you know, we're starting to make big movie scenes. We're starting to control our narrative. We have these businesses that are ethical and sustainable. Like, wow. Just shout out everyone. We're here. We get to laugh. We get to have joy. Um, we deserve to have that. So I see Rampart... Like trying to accomplish all these things and all these different people doing the work and just hoping that we all come together more and we all bring our tools and we all accept accountability and embrace for regenerative justice. And what does it look like to heal our community and what does it look like to stop people who are harming because we all eventually will hurt one another in a way, you know, intention versus impact or you know it's so easy to just end up in the justice system. I'm thinking about Brittany Garner in Russia right now, just for carrying a wax pen with THC. Now she's in jail for nine years. That's her career. She's married, she has kids, black queer. Um national international athlete so that point to say like we really have to look out for one another and we have to create our own systems
0: and what advice do you have for native youth
1: for native youth I would have to say there's so much more wisdom in hindsight than foresight and you know sometimes I'll look back and like why didn't I know this? Or why didn't I do that? And so to have empathy and patience for your own self and for your family. Uh, I was the first one to go to college and you know I'm learning all these things and I come back and I'm dealing with frustration and conversations I'm not able to have or not being able to simply say these huge concepts. And who am I to do that for a family that, put forth all their best efforts to get me where I'm at and to have patience so you know I planted a lot of seeds in the times I've returned home and before the pandemic of like how I wanted life to be and now the conversations move forward and I'm able to keep my collect collect keep myself collected and having difficult conversations and asking what are we going to do moving forward and my family's talking about, you know, having gardens and we're working in these new spaces and getting the respect we deserve, because especially early in my mom, Ina you know, Brooks career and advocating for our fish, she was really discredited. And so it's really important. What my coach taught me in college, you're made up of the five people you spend the most time with. So like who you spend time with, what energy you put into this world your responsibility to constantly doing better. Like I'm learning more and trying to live in this lifestyle that is more inclusive. And I think about so many people whenever I make choices and when I do this work. And so really every action, every word, every dream is a manifestation, a wish in itself. And as you continue to be more aligned with the greater good, and with the land and water, who have so many lessons, and we create spaces for joy, and lots of food, and our creativity, like, it does lead to something, and we can create the spaces, and those spaces are so, what's the word, so attractive, and they just are so abundant in what can happen, and how the work moves forward, so no matter where you get caught up like seek guidance and others as humans as living things in this world we're never meant to be alone i think about the mushrooms they're all connected they're all connected (laughs) the mushrooms the mushrooms awesome thank you i'm bossy for your work